0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. There is a tension in the story today. There are crowds who come in singing Hosanna, waving palm branches, throwing down cloaks, And these are, many scholars believe, some of the same people who just a few days later will be standing in front of Pilate's palace yelling, crucify. There's a tension of celebration. But there's also the tension of the reality of why Jesus entered and what he was standing for and the stand that he was taking. It's one of the reasons why at the end we're going to ask you to return these because Every year at the beginning of Lent we take our palm branches from the season before and we turn them into what? Ash. These are our ashes from Ash Wednesday this past this year. These are our palm branches from last year that have been burned and mixed in with oil. There's a tension God is comfortable to dwell in both places because we at times are in both places and there's always a return. It's one of the things I love about the calendar. There's always a return. There's always a return. There's always a return. One of the parts about this tension I think oftentimes we need to ask ourselves is in our return, who is it we are returning to? Because Part of what Jesus is doing, and Jesus is doing something very intentional in this moment with his friends and with all of the people. Many scholars argue and believe that there would have been multiple entries going on during the time of Jesus into the city. The most notable being that of Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor. And I want to begin by contrasting these two and doing it in a way that if you're comfortable, I'm gonna invite you, there's a practice I love in the Ignatian tradition of imagining yourself in the story, of entering into the story that you're reading from the Gospels. And so I'm gonna invite you, if you feel comfortable, to close your eyes and as we walk our way back through this story, to imagine yourself as you hear me speaking. And if you're like, I can't really focus that way, then uh, we have this beautiful image behind us of Palm Sunday and maybe you just take in that piece of art, as you listen. And so here's how these two rulers, these two kings, the heads of two different kingdoms would have entered. Pilate would have entered on a warhorse or a chariot. There's no climbing a sycamore tree to see Pilate. You could see him coming in a place of prominence and power. Following him would be the glinting armor of Roman soldiers, spears, swords, shields, and chariots. Pilate was a foreign ruler in a place that was not home. He was a tyrannical tourist in the promised land of God's people. The city of Jerusalem was below him. He was born for the beauty of Rome, not the dirt-filled streets of Jerusalem. His power is Caesar's power. Caesar, who is called son of Zeus, son of God, prince of peace. What kind of God is he the son of? A God of violence, of retribution, of bloodstained conquest, of power and pride. The God who wounds in order to be worshipped. Who forces submission. Who rules over armies. Who conquer a place by force, telling the people they must proclaim Caesar as Lord and God, or else they will be You've made your pilgrimage to the temple for Passover. Some of you have come alone, some of you with your families. You've sung the Psalms of Ascent as you make your way through the wilderness to this place. You are coming to celebrate your exodus and freedom from slavery in Egypt, knowing fully well you find yourself under the boot of an empire once again. Pagan people still rule over you. God has called you to be his people, but you're once again subject to a foreign ruler. You're hoping for a new exodus. You're waiting for a Messiah, someone who will come and liberate you. Your blister-covered, dust-covered feet finally come to Jerusalem. Zion, the city of David. It's been a long journey uphill the entire way. You've dodged the wild animals, bandits, and the pains that come with a journey like this one you've taken since you were a child. And this is the scene you're met with, a man parading on a horse claiming to be king, claiming to be the image of God. This is happening on one side of the city, and as the crowd remains silent, watching the glitter and clanging of the armored representatives of Rome walk by, another noise begins to reach your ears, shouts of Hosannas of words only used in the very psalms in which you have sung. There's the noise of a gathering crowd singing songs in your native tongue. You make your way through the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Pushing through the market toward the noise and the hymns. Whereas you could see Pilate from a distance the one this crowd surrounds, you can barely see his head over the crowd. Pushing through, you see a man coming from the other side of town. Isn't that from the direction of the Mount of Olives? The very mount you looked upon as you recited the psalm. I look to the hills, where does my help come? Why is he riding a donkey? Is he a Galilean? He's a Galilean. He even has an is that an Aramaic accent? You can hear the twang in his voice. It's clear from the way that he speaks. And he's from a backwoods rural fishing village. Doesn't look very well fed. His hands are calloused like that of a craftsman and construction worker. And there's something about his eyes. There's a deep gentleness As if he sees the crowd, not just the crowd, but he sees everyone in it. What political party is he affiliated with, you wonder? And so you begin to ask He's a Messiah, they tell you. Okay, but what about the donkey? Did he choose that? Is that. He did, they say. In fact, says someone standing next to you, he picked the colt himself. He told them all. They, he told his followers all that they needed to do was to tell the owner of the colt that the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it? Your mind goes to David, who said the same thing when he justified why he was allowed to eat the consecrated bread. Is this man connected to David? But that wouldn't make sense, would it? Why not come in on a war horse or a chariot? Why a colt? Why so inconspicuous? Why so weak? Why is he looking everyone in the eye If he's to be king, kings don't do that. You're watching Jesus. Your friends begin to pick up palm branches. Something's happening. They lay down their cloaks. You begin to feel something. There's an emotion and a sway in the crowd. Something is different here. Hosanna is what you hear behind you. Save us, shouts another. Save us now. You've been told since you were a little child the stories of God hearing the cries of his people. Does God hear us now? Does Yahweh still listen? The crowd is now singing full voice one of the psalms of King David at the top of their lungs. You've never heard a crowd sing so loudly and so brashly in the presence of Rome. I hope he knows what he's doing, you think. Most of the so-called messiahs start off strong and cannot defeat the powers that be in the end. And this Jesus seems to have started off pretty slow. You don't see an army? See what looks like a bunch of women? Fishermen? Is that, is that a tax collector? Goodness gracious, hopefully he... We'll ramp some things up soon. Maybe this week will be the week that he begins to gather arms and pick a new army. I sure hope he does it my way, you think. I hope he does it the right way. Friends, we begin this week, and at the heart of Holy Week is the invitation that asks us to behold Jesus, Jesus who is the human face of God who said of himself, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father, who the writer of Hebrews says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. The point of the passion narrative, when we behold Jesus, we are beholding God. We see Jesus share an intimate meal with friends about to betray him on Thursday. Jesus kicked, kissed mockingly on the cheek. Jesus healing a man who'd come to arrest him of a wound given by one of Jesus' own friends. We see Jesus, we see God put on trial in the name of God. We see Jesus insulted and beaten and put on trial again in the courts of the worldly empire. As we behold Jesus in all of this, we are beholding God. God betrayed and God mocked. God healing one come as an enemy. God put on trial and beaten. And worst of all, God put on a cross. And this image of God is contrasted all week with the image of false gods that promise false kingdoms, false peace, false joy, false love, empty life. Pilate is the image of a God of violence, retribution, bloodstained conquest of power and pride. The God who wounds in order to be worshipped, whose armies conquer a place by force, telling the people they must proclaim Caesar as Lord and God or else they will be killed. Jesus comes as God in the flesh, the God who takes all of the violence of the world into himself in order to redeem it, to rescue. He comes as the God who does not conquer through blood-stained conquest, but is conquested in order to reveal the very heart of God and to form a new people a people who do not wound, but are wounded. Who will not wrangle, but will invite. God comes, not just into Jerusalem, but in the sonnet we read earlier, Malcolm so quickly picks up on the deeper, the deeper aspect of what is happening. That God comes not just into Jerusalem, but into the innermost parts of us. Will we welcome him? There is a reversal he brings, but in that reversal there is restoration, there is shalom, and there is life. Will we welcome him? How will we welcome him? How? Come, Holy Spirit. Break our resistance and make us your home. For you are already at home in us.